Hello, everyone, and welcome to Geoversive's Earth Intelligence Podcast. I'm Don Shelby. My co-host today is Joseph Robertson, founder of Geoversive and executive director of Citizens Climate International. He's the lead strategist for the Climate Smart Finance Initiative. Today on our podcast, at the urging of some of our listeners, we're turning to some younger voices to provide perspective on what the world looks like to them, how they can find the grace to forgive their elders for creating a mess they will have to clean up. The elders still have time and courage, but the time to make dramatic changes that are necessary to preserve a world worthy of our young is running out. Our guests are Catherine Kaiser and Clara Garner, two young women dedicating themselves to riding this global ship through the auspices of an organization called Climate Generation, founded by the world-famous explorer Will Steger. Steger has seen firsthand the devastating effects of climate change from his polar expeditions to the crossing of the continent of Antarctica, part of that across the Larsen B ice shelf that is no more due to the planetary warming. Welcome, Catherine and Clara, and I feel compelled to apologize for the mess that we've left you. This is something that is not one person's fault, and just because you grew up in a generation which contributed to this doesn't mean that you're the sole creator or the any kind of leader of the creation of the climate change that we're experiencing today. You're very kind. Both of you are seniors in high school one at St. Paul Academy, one at uh, the Blake School, and you are associated with an organization called Climate Generation, which people can go to at uh, climategen.org and find out all about it because they do so much more than just organize youth, but they teach teachers how to teach climate change. Now, here's the question I have to start with to you both. How do you expect to change the world we're in? How I personally expect to change the world, but how I think we can all kind of change the world is regardless of your age or where you may live. So really climate change can affect everyone in every community. And so I think a really great way that we as individuals can try to change the world is by getting involved with our local communities and really trying to make sure our voices are heard and that the issues that we think are important, I prioritized inside of legislative processes, but also inside of community discussions. So that's kind of what I've sought to do and what I think we should all seek to do if you feel an urge to work to improve the environment and to attempt to save this planet for our generation, but also for generations to come. So that's kind of my outlook on how individuals can make a difference, even when a majority of emissions are coming from companies and larger entities than individuals. Clara, how do you feel about that? Do you think you're going to have any effect as a young person and as uh, growing into adulthood and voting? Do you think you're going to have an effect on how policy is decided. Yeah, I think when it comes to policy and changing what our lawmakers choose to do, especially focusing on climate change and the various like green new deals and similar legislation, I think my voice has a special importance because I am a part of the people and the people choose and vote on and influence legislators to pass laws that support climate change. So if the people support it and they're fighting for it, then the lawmakers have no choice but to do it because 
their job is to serve the people, even when sometimes that's not necessarily what they end up doing. Joe, you have an experience with Greta Thunberg, and you watched how she changed the paradigm during UN Climate Week and before and beyond. What would you tell these young people about the force of their earnestness toward changing global climate change? You know, that's a great question, Don. And I love, uh, first of all, hearing this optimism and I think principled optimism about the role that people have in nudging government to do good, in, in creating the conditions for political leaders to actually lead. I don't know Greta Thunberg, but I've seen her speak and I've seen the effect that she has had on other young people. And I've met some of these amazing young leaders who have simply chosen to speak up and to say what is morally right. And I would say to Catherine and Clara and to others working with Climate Generation and other young people who want to get us to a better climate future, that earnestness is incredibly powerful. And it's because the ethical obligation we have to each other that so many people feel is easy to ignore when it comes to climate change because it appears to be a long-term problem, something that will fall on future generations. That ethical problem is manifest when you speak because you are going to be living through that. I think we're all better positioned to be ethical and to be responsible to each other when the people who are affected by our actions can actually interact with us. The ethical problem of climate change becomes much more evident when we hear from people who will be living through the impacts, even worse than what we have now. A lot of people feel it's easy to ignore the climate problem because they think that the worst impacts will be far in the future, or they just don't see them. So they can procrastinate, they can postpone their interest. But when they hear from earnest, conscientious young people who are clearly trying to make sure that there is a better world, not just for themselves, but for everyone, it really makes it hard for us to ignore that ethical obligation. So I, I would encourage uh, young people to do everything they can to be sincere and clear and to point all of us towards that better future. I think it's an instrumental part of how we're going to get there. I want to kind of add to what you've said. I think a lot of people have an easy time ignoring climate change and kind of putting it off to the side because they don't see the current effects of it. But I also think there's a lot of people who feel powerless and feel like there's not anything that they have the power to do as an individual that will greatly influence the course of climate change. So I think a really important thing is to find ways to have people or to make people feel more comfortable with the idea that there are things that are going to happen and things are going to change, but that doesn't mean that one person's work is powerless and has no influence on the final outcome. Catherine Clara, you are tabula rasa as far as I'm concerned, because you have not turned into the cynic that uh, perhaps has invaded part of my personality after spending a career in journalism. But I can't help but think that if you meet with politicians, those politicians see you as future voters. And if you're saying there is an entire block of young people moving forward who will vote you out of office if you don't do these things, it may not be tomorrow, but it will be in a couple of years. 
Do you ever think about your power in that regard? Personally, I, for some reason, don't really see my power in that way of being able to influence legislators by being a future voter. I think sometimes I feel like there are some legislators that kind of know that when it gets to that point where my generation and people closer to my age are able to vote, that they'll end up being voted out of office. But I think a large majority of legislators are fairly older depending on the position. I think by the time that the majority of the voters are made up by people in my generation, that it might not be that they would even be in a state to be in office. So I think I personally feel it's hard to feel that kind of influence on legislators in that way. But I wonder what Catherine thinks because I haven't done as much work with legislators. Yeah, I've actually talked with a couple of legislators and representatives about this. And they definitely do see, or at least the ones I've talked to, have definitely seen our future votes being something that they want to have and they want to secure, especially as older high schoolers may be talking to them, like Clara Clara and I are both 17, so we'll be able to vote soon. On the other end, having any person come to them and tell them that they're concerned about something is representative of what they told me was it can be hundreds of other people. They say a call is representing 10 other people who think the same as you. An email is maybe 50 and actually seeing them can be hundreds. So when you come and talk to them, they're not only seeing you, but they're also thinking about the people that you might have influence over or the people in your community who may also share your opinion and who would vote like you. Like they often mentioned or considered necessarily your family or your parents might have a similar opinion. And so when you do go in and talk to them, you're not necessarily just representing yourself as a constituent. So I do think there is a lot of power with your vote and with making sure your voice is heard, because as they put it at Climate Generation when they went over that representatives work for you at the end of the day, it can be easy to forget that, especially when you're not involved with necessarily the daily going ons, but they do work for you and the public, they are looking to secure those votes. And I think showing up even when you can't vote shows them that that's an opinion that they should be taking into account when they're legislating. That's got to be music to your ears, Joe, because that's what Citizens Climate has been doing for years and years and years. Yeah, it is music to my ears. And I think the more you engage with government, the more the experiences we're hearing from Catherine and Clara become evident it's much harder to feel that government is not accessible if you have access to government. And we do have access to government in this country at all levels. It's hard to get a meeting with the president, but it's not that hard to get a meeting with Congress. There's something incredibly empowering about that. I think one of the core elements driving this crisis in trust we have in our democracy right now is how detached people are from government, how detached they are from the way we make policy. And they feel policy shapes their life, their their conditions, their experience, but they don't know who's deciding it or, or why or whose interest it serves. So I love hearing from young people who are confident that this is the way that we govern ourselves. We, we go and talk to the people that are there to serve and we, you know, they may not always please us by the way they serve, but the more we engage with them, the more real that service relationship is. I also want to add that I think Once you get a certain number of legislators and members involved in um, making these changes and supporting these things and 
if more people continue to talk to them, then their peer legislators will also feel more inclined to do it because they're not going to be standing alone, um, standing up for this. That's great insight. That is the way politics works. They do have influence on each other, and they are influenced by uh, the voter and the potential voter. But do you ever run into people who absolutely do not believe that anything needs to be done? Yes. I think, I think I've run into a fair amount of people in my life that, not necessarily people that I directly know, but people that I've had conversations with who, when I've brought up the issue of climate change, have said, well, is it really real? Which is kind of ridiculous because there's a huge amount of evidence supporting climate change. And so I think this is a huge issue. And I think one of the biggest obstacles in the fight for trying to decrease the effects of climate change, because these people are voters as well. And they're people that will also show up and talk to their legislators. And personally, I don't I think that's one of the situations where I feel the most powerless because oftentimes there's no way to convince these people because they often don't even believe in the science that proves climate change. Belief is an interesting term to me, Claire and Catherine, that you don't have to believe in science. It's not a faith. It's not a church that you go to. It doesn't require you to believe in things uh, for which there is no visible evidence. It is just like saying, do you believe that two plus two is four? Someone says, yes, I believe that. They're wrong. They know that. They don't have to believe it. Science is the same way. It's super interesting because I see often people with t-shirts or masks that say, I believe science. And it's shocking that that's the point where we've gotten to with this, where there are people that don't believe the hard evidence. Catherine, how do you deal with people who don't accept the science? One of the reasons that people don't necessarily believe, if we're using that word, in science is because... In some ways, if you're not necessarily familiar with the process or if you don't have a background in science or some sort of grounding, it can feel like just claims out of thin air, even though there is um, scientific data to back it up. And so I think one of the best ways to approach someone like that who might not believe in science is by approaching them with an open mind and trying not to be combative, but at the same time, um, using real life examples that they can see and that they felt and that they've probably noticed from their own lives to explain how that's a result of climate change. So um, when I started working with climate change and the environment, I was aware of rising sea levels, maybe on the coast and things like that, but I wasn't aware of things at home. But a lot of farmers will reference unpredictable years or having trouble, you know, making sure that their crops come up. And they won't really connect that to climate change. But I think working and educating and explaining how more rain during certain seasons or more extreme winters can be connected to climate change is sort of the key there with the scientific disconnect, especially how um, when we have colder winters, people may think, oh, climate change is global warming. Why is it colder? Well, it's more of an extreme weather situation, less of a colder, warmer in that case. So I think that referencing 
things that people can relate to and have experienced and trying to tie that back to climate change is a pretty good approach to beginning to open up that conversation with those sorts of people. Tell me your hopes, Catherine and Clara. What are your hopes? How do you think you're going to have an effect? And what does that effect look like? I see my impact being on being able to talk to people about climate change and to problem solve in many ways, different ways that you can educate people and get the word out and make it really simple and easy for people to be involved. Because I think when something's simple and easy to understand, it makes a lot of sense to do it. I also think I see myself and Catherine and the other people that I worked with in my campaign's cohort for yeah. Um, Explain what yeah is for people who don't understand what yeah is. Yeah is the Youth Environmental Activists. It's a Will Steger Foundation, and basically, it works with youth across the country to teach youth about how to be involved, but also to provide a space for youth to be creative and to find new solutions for climate change within their community, but also in a greater community that they belong to, whether it's the country. I should also explain um, the Yeah Campaign's cohort is a group of youth who create a campaign surrounding environmental justice. So there's always an aspect of climate activism and an aspect of social justice. And so For example, for me, I did a campaign surrounding period poverty with a focus on how sustainable period products can be an avenue for a solution to period poverty, which is the lack of access and resources of period products. Yeah. Catherine, do you have the same kind of cohort? Yeah. Um, Yeah. I was a part of the same program as Clara, which just finished up um, about a month or two ago. My campaign focus was on clean water within the metro area and kind of educating about that and seeing how individuals could make a change with that. But also we have a later goal of um, presenting to our city councils and making kind of workshops so other students and other young people or anyone can present to their city councils about um, the same sort of topic. Hearing about the amount of engagement and activism that you're already involved in, it creates, I think, a foundation for hope about the future. But as we talk about the interaction between generations on an issue like climate, I can't help but think about the preamble to the United States Constitution, which says that the union was established to preserve uh, for posterity the blessings of liberty. And there have been young people who've taken that case to court and argued that climate change is stripping them of those rights. How do you feel about this question of intergenerational equity? Are some of the things you're talking to city councils or to the community or to your peers about, or to lawmakers, are some of those things about whether or not we as a society today will leave an unlivable world to those who come after us. I think that's a huge part of what we do, or at least what I've been doing um, in terms of organizing. I think that older generations do have a responsibility to listen and to not only listen, but 
to take to heart what people are saying and act on that. Um, a lot of the young people who are organizing right now have not had the time to necessarily become technical experts, but we know what's going on and we know what needs to be done. And so I think that older generations do have a responsibility to respond to that. And I think that us as a younger generation, a lot of the work that we do is looking towards future generations to make sure that a situation doesn't happen like what's happening right now, where we only focus on the present and we forget to think about the future and what will come in maybe 20 or 50 years from the decisions that we make today. So I think that this idea of intergenerational effects um, from climate change is huge. And I think it's a huge part of why it's important that we act as quickly as possible, because the effects that we're seeing now are from activities that were done years and years ago. So we're not even sure what will happen from what we're doing today in the future. And I also think adding on to what Catherine is saying that, you know, there is no question that climate change is going to have a negative effect on us in the future because it is already having negative effects on us today. So I think the most important thing is realizing that there isn't anything that you can do to completely reverse or prevent all of the effects of climate change from happening. But if you listen and talk to youth, like Catherine said, and if you find ways to get involved in your community, there is an opportunity for the effects of climate change to be weakened or to not be as detrimental as they would be otherwise. What are you two going to do when you uh, become adults? What line of education are you going to pursue? Will this always be a part of who you are? I think most definitely. One of the main reasons that I do want to pursue further education is so I have the experience and the expertise to do something that has to do with climate change. And while I'm not certain yet what that will be, I do know that whatever field I do go into, whether it be some sort of genetics field or even architecture or something like that, I do know that the main thought that I'll be having while I'm working is how can this benefit the environment? How can this make our world more sustainable? And I don't think I'm necessarily alone in that. From talking to my friends at school, it seems like regardless of what specific field we all go into, we all sort of have an eye towards sustainability, but also making sure that we can find some sort of purpose in the work or education that we get. And I think that a purpose for a large chunk of our generation is furthering environmental improvement and focusing on that. So I do think that as a generation, we're probably going to emphasize that a little bit more. Clara, what are you going to do? Well, I am personally really interested in international affairs. And so um, going forward, I hope to focus on international affairs with a focus on um, climate change and the environment, because that is such a huge part of international affairs. Um, but I also think in general, going forward, I think I still plan to continue to learn from fellow activists and to continue my learning journey in general of climate change and everything related to it and learning about every possible thing I can do to prevent the detrimental effects of climate change. Joe, you're headed to COP26. You're leading a delegation of this gigantic world meeting with this solution in mind. 
be handy to have uh, Catherine and Clara in your back pocket when you went in. I, I was thinking the same thing. I I think brilliant young people who are focused on not just wanting a better world, but helping to make it happen have to be part of those intergovernmental processes. It is not a complete space if we're not hearing from young people. There is a youth constituency, but I think we need to expand what that means and let more voices in. And I would absolutely love to have uh, some input from, from both of you to make sure that we are bringing everything we should to the table. Catherine, Clara, thank you very much for being with us today. It's been a joy talking to you, and I am left with a sense of hope after having beaten my head against a brick wall for the past 30 years to know that you are out there and doing the hard work and believing, and I use belief in, in its proper sense here, believing in a future that is going to be approaching climate change with all of the facts necessary and changing the minds of people who are standing uh, athwart history and just trying to stop everything that you want to achieve. I appreciate you. I appreciate Climate Generation and the YEA, Y-E-A, Youth Environmental Activists. Thank you very much for being with us today. Absolutely. Thank you. And uh, Catherine and Clara, thank you for what you're doing and please keep doing it. Thank you very much. I appreciate having us on. Thank you. We will. If you'd like to know more about Earth Intelligence, go to earthintelligence.org, earthintel.org, and you can find out all of our podcasts. And if you want to know more about Geoversive, go to geoversive.net. Thank you very much to our guests, Catherine Kaiser and Clara Garner of Climate Generation. And we'll talk to you soon.